This episode of The Backdrop, Untold Stories in Golf, is brought to you by New Club Golf Society, a humble community of golfers connected by our love for the game. Follow us on social media with the handle New Club Golf. You know, I think uh, I was thinking about all the different places to start. And, um, you know, my first my first question is probably a broad one, but a lot of architects love the game of golf. Uh, you really seem to love the game of golf with like a capital L. Um, you know, I've had some buddies that got to play with you down there at Sweden's Cove. Uh, others have just seen you out there, you know, swinging a few clubs. And what, what I'm curious about is other than golf course design, which you, you, you've obviously been fascinated with for a long time, um, what, what draws you to the game? What makes you get a club in your hands? You know, why do you go out and play? Uh, why do you find the game of golf so compelling? I started getting interested in, in playing golf when I was in my mid to late teens. I played other sports and growing up and in high school. I, I didn't really play golf regularly at all till I was probably 16 or 17 maybe. And I, I think like a lot of people, you know, you just, you hit that one good shot and it, and it hooks you and, I always have really enjoyed the the pursuit of of trying to get better at it and trying new things and seeing what works and experimenting with different ways to you know try to make your make your game better and I think that there's just something about the the pursuit of playing and trying to improve that that I love I think it's something that a lot, a lot of people who play golf really enjoy that and you know once you hit a few good shots it's it's pretty addictive it's hard to hard to turn away from i think yeah the uh the pursuit is endless you know you can't it, it doesn't matter what aspect of the game it doesn't really stop exactly and, and and you know i also love the you know the camaraderie around the game and 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 having you know playing golf with friends and having fun and you know that's one thing that sweden's cove has really done for my life is it provided me with a lot of great memories and you know fun times that I've had out there with, with our members and, and and other people and and those are sort of invaluable experiences that that I, that I really that I love that you know the golf has given me the opportunity to have and Sweet and Scope has given me that that opportunity to have those kind of experiences. So that that kind of leads in the follow follow up question to what gets you on the golf course. Um, I, I assume you've played, you think you've played Sweetens more than a thousand times? Is that a, uh, that, that's a good, that's a good, good question. I, the, the, the answer is probably way, way, way less than that. I, I don't know. <laughs> I have been to Sweetens well over a thousand times, but I have played it well less than that. I would say, I, I think the guys who like Patrick Boyd and uh, some of our members have definitely played it that much. Um, I've found that one of the ironies of the golf business is that you don't play anywhere near as much as you, as you would think. Um, I, I spend a lot more time looking at that golf course or doing something to it than I do actually playing it. But I, I have, I've played it a lot. I won't act like I haven't, but, but um, it's probably not as much as people would think. So not not as so, not as much as Patrick. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things. It's funny. I mean, you just 
you just never get to play quite as much as, as you'd like to. But yeah, I think it's okay. pretty common. It seems it's been the truth for me as well. But um, yeah. with, with that group, you know, those, uh, those, those that are fascinated by it, your members that have played it over a thousand times. I mean, I've played a lot of golf courses and, and how the hell can you play Sweetens more than a thousand times and still absolutely love it like people do? I mean, I've, I, I'm probably speaking from ignorance here because uh, I have not played it and, and I'm sure my, I'll have a better idea once I get down there in April. But uh, until then, how the hell can someone play that course so many times and never get bored? I think that, you know, one of our sort of self-imposed directives that we had going into it, and this is what we told the client when we were starting to build it, was that we wanted to build a course with as much variety and as much, you know, interest built into it as possible so that the golf course shifted a lot from one round to the next and was constantly asking you different questions depending upon the angle of approach and we, you know, we tried really hard to do things that would that would keep the experience from ever getting stale. And you know, the best golf course in the world for that is is the old course. And I think we just tried to bake as many lessons from from the old course and, and courses like that, where that you know, there's so much variety and so many different questions that are being asked that each time you play, you know, one time you may accidentally find yourself way over on the left side of the fairway. Uh, whereas on the previous round you're on the right side and that's just a completely different question. And so that keeps things fresh. Whereas a lot of golf courses, you know, they're, they're not asking many questions. And, you know, I think that, I think that on approach, on the approach and around the greens in particular at Sweetens Cove, there's usually at least four ways to, to kind of get the ball close to the hole. And that's, I think that's really the, the the main key is that you you always have multiple options in front of you um, and different shots you can experiment with and things you can do that aren't really common to other golf experiences. So going around it many many times never never gets old. I mean, it's as far as repeat play goes, it's one of the most interesting courses I've played. Where, where you just you don't get sick of it because it's it's always asking you something else you just want to keep playing and also there's so many fun shots you can hit you know if if you try a shot and pull it off one time you know you know that you can go back around again and maybe try it again or or if you see see an opportunity that you had that you missed out on it makes you want to give it a shot the next time around so it, it does a lot of stuff like that that just keeps you engaged but it's it's interesting you mentioned the, the creation of it and, and where you guys started. So that was intentional, right? I mean, did, when you guys were setting out, and, and maybe take me back to the, the creation phase and uh, before there was a sea of, you know, raving fans on Twitter and, and the social medias, um, I, I'd love to hear more about the, the forces that came together to create it. Uh, you know, I know you've told the story probably – a trillion times at this point to, to different people. And I've, I've heard it from other podcasts. So, you know, maybe touch on where you were uh, personally, professionally, maybe even creatively or artistically when you, when you started to build this, um, you know, what were, where, where were you at and what other forces had to come together for it to, for it to occur? Well, I was at a, at a place in my life and we first got introduced to this project and it's hard to believe, but it was in, 
uh, the summer, spring and summer of 2010, and we didn't actually start construction until spring of 2011, but I had almost a year from 2010 to 2011 to really think about things, and each hole went through, you know, three or four different iterations in my mind, and I think that having that gap in time was good because I think that it, the course kind of kept getting better with, with each you know, new new idea that, that came about. It was kind of a, it wasn't just the, the first draft that was thrown out there. There was a lot of other drafts that kind of went, went into the, the, the final creation. And, you know, where I was personally was that I was extremely desperate to get back into architecture. And I felt extraordinarily grateful to have this, what I felt like was an amazing opportunity fall in my lap uh, to, to rebuild this old country, Sequatchie Valley Golf and Country Club golf course. Uh, you know, at that time, there just wasn't much going on in the States. And, you know, as it turns out that when we were in construction in 2011, 2012, there was probably only four or five other domestic projects going on at the same time. And interestingly, Gil Hines was up at Suwannee rebuilding that nine-hole course at the same time we were doing Sweden's Cove, and so you know, it's pretty funny to think about you know there being two rural nine-hole courses going on. Um, you know that's probably one third of the golf projects going on in 2011, 2012 domestically. So to have had this opportunity, I was really very fortunate because <laughs> there was just nothing going on, uh, and I was particularly fortunate that our client you know really believed in us and. Uh, believed in our, our vision and our ability to execute it. And, and you know, they let us go out and, and do our thing. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really, really grateful for that because you know, without Sweden's Cove, I've, we wouldn't have all the, all the opportunities that we have today. And in my mind, going back to that time period, I felt like we had to hit just the biggest home run ever or there wasn't going to be a second opportunity. That was my mindset all along. It was like, we only get, it's a cliche, but we only get one one chance to make a first impression. And if we screw this up, then I'm going to need to find something else to do. And so there was a lot of pressure. Um, and I really wanted to do something that was different. I, I wanted to do something that wasn't like any other course in Tennessee or you know, you know, quite a bit different than a lot of other courses throughout the southeast. Um, it borrows lessons from some of my favorite courses, Pinehurst Number Two and, and Tobacco Road and the old course and things like that. But it's kind of all shaken up and, and put in a blender and spit out, and it's expressed in a, I think, physically and you know the visuals are, are a, bit, a little bit different than were quite a bit different than, than a lot of other courses in the region. And I knew that if Sweetens Cove was ever to be successful, um, it had to be a standout experience. You know, we to go out and try to do something that was, you know, just like Chattanooga Golf and Country Club or the Honors Course or something like that, you know, that those things have been done. I mean, we needed to do something that was, 
going to stand on its own two feet and, and provide a, a, a unique and different experience um, for people because who in the hell would ever come to rural Tennessee to play a nine-hole golf course if it wasn't asking some really unique and interesting questions. So every day throughout construction, we were pressing really hard to, you know, have those thoughts become a, a reality on the ground and it was a daily grind, that's for sure, for quite a while. And somehow, some way, we were able to get it done. A couple of things a- in there I want to I want to uh, unpack because I think uh, one, do you ever go back and look at the original drafts that you didn't end up building? Are those like kind of state saved away for a special time in the future? You know, I've got some old drawings, um, but I don't really have that many and in hindsight i wish i had more because i think given everything that's happened with sweetens cove it'd be kind of interesting if i had like draft one two three four a lot of them were just kind of mental mental notes you know um things i didn't necessarily put down on paper i i designed uh, several of the holes maybe half the holes you know three or four different times and um some of them were kind of pretty well set in stone from the get-go I, I knew number nine I knew what I wanted on number nine I had a really good idea about number five and number four I had a pretty good idea on but a lot of the other ones really changed a lot over time and um, I, I have a few old drawings which are kind of fun but um, maybe one day I'll bring those out and put them on Twitter or something <laughs> I think I think the uh, Twitterverse golf Twitter would definitely eat that <laughs> right up and probably you know find some place some homes for it. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, the the uh, you know when when you talk about it and uh, as and especially that time and thank you for sharing a little bit of like personally where you're at because you know when I've heard you talk in the past there there's certainly you know Sweetens seems like more of a, a course you design uh, to you and and so many others and you know I think there's an attachment you must have, you know, from all the bumps, bruises, uh, the journey that it, it took you to build it. Um, can you maybe take me to some of the, the, the darker times? Cause I know the economy wasn't in the best place, uh, when you guys started and there were some changes in, in, uh, in ownership or, or the relationship of the ownership leasing it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever consider at, like, was there ever a time where you're like, I don't know if this is going to work. I need to cut bait and look at plan B. Um, was there ever a consideration of, of changing plans at all? Well, there's more times than I can count that I didn't think it was going to work. And I mean, the, the thought of that was just, just devastating to me. I mean, I, I, it makes me sick to my stomach to even think about it. My wife half jokingly, I mean, it's not even a joke, really. She calls Sweetens Cove my third child, which it really is. I, I am so deeply attached to that golf course that, you know, talking about some of the darker times, you know, they, it was extremely difficult um, to get the thing built. There was, there was a lot of things going on in the background that um, with respect to, you know, what the future of the course was going to be um, in the, in the client was kind of wrestling with, with those questions, those big questions. And, and I knew, and Tad knew, 
in a handful of other people who had seen it in in the dirt and in the in the construction phase knew how good this place was going to be and when the cracks started to appear that you know quite possibly there was going to be some difficulties from the client's standpoint of getting it off the ground there were a lot of days when we just didn't know if it was going to fly um if it was ever going to see the light of day and that was gut-wrenching i mean to to think about you know having put all this effort and time into something and and to be on the cusp of you know realizing a, a dream of getting a a first solo project in the ground and then having it taken away from you is it's not good yeah oh it's good <laughs> pretty pretty damn depressing really yeah and um and you know i i vividly remember when um you know the client approached me and said you know rob we're gonna you know we're gonna kind of take a step back and, and go back to you know doing doing what we do best you know their their core business and um and you know they they asked me are, are you this was in august of 2013 you know are you interested in in taking it over and and my first reaction was no, I mean, I want you guys to run it. <laughs> and then, and then I thought about it for about 24 hours, and and I thought, well, I mean, if this thing's ever going to see the light of day, I'm going to have to take this take this plunge. And and I and I met um, Ari Techner from from Scratch Golf, and he and I sort of jumped into it, and you know, we we were able to get this lease done and took it over and. May of 2014, and we over time have added some other partners, and there's there's some really key people who have helped Sweetens get to where it was uh, financially, that you know who provided financial assistance that you know if they hadn't have done that, it never would have even opened, and um, there was a lot of lot of days that you know. I didn't know if we were going to make it. And I was in pretty much full panic mode in in uh, July and August of 2017 before the before the New York Times article came out. We were just hemorrhaging money and things were not going well. We just weren't getting the play we thought we were going to get. And then the Times article came out, and it all of a sudden it was just a completely different ball game, and we we were able to get through the rest of that year, and then you know we can continued a, a very aggressive growth trend in in 2018, and and we're gonna you know we're gonna make it, and but you know even once we had it open, it, it was it wasn't certain. I was kind of out of out of ammunition, so to speak, in in 2017. So there's been there's been a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of anxiety about it. But I've and, I've steadfastly refused to give it up because it means too much to me. I was I mean, if you know, people have said to me like, you know, Rob, maybe it's time to just let it go. I'm like, fuck that. I'm not letting it go. I mean, I, it, it's going to drag me down with it that's what's going to happen. I'm not letting it go. If, if it's, if I'm going to, if it's going to get let go, it's going to get let go because I'm forced to let it go. You know, it, there, there's, 
I'm not letting it go because I'm making a decision. I'm letting it go because I'm there's just nothing I can do. <laughs> there's so many things people are fascinated with about the place, and uh, to me, this this is maybe the the one story that I was most curious about. You can tell. I mean, knowing that you know you you came from that place of, of desperation to do this thing that you were so passionate about this, this line of business, designing golf courses, building golf courses. And then, you know, through those years, um, I, I think some people, you know, would see all the, the newer resorts that might pop up of, you know, after the minimalist golf movement and they do so well at the gate, like to, to create enduring art, you know, sometimes you got to come from that place of, of desperation and you have to, to persevere through some tougher times. And I think, I think I, I know I can relate to it, you know, taking risk in, in uh, you know, a, a, a job change or you know, moving to a new city. I think a lot of people can relate to that anxiety, you know, when they just don't know and, and they're passionate about something. But, you know, the rest of the world's telling them, hey, he, are you sure about this? And then you start doubting it. But, uh, man, I think there's there's a lot of people that are happy that, that you never doubted it, that you kept um, that you kept pushing through. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to what you said. I had a, a professor in graduate school, Pete Melby, who used to tell us that he's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta struggle to, to create great art. I mean, that he's like the blues. It, it was, it was a struggle. It was that that great music came from struggle. If there hadn't have been the struggle, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been produced. And I, and I, there's a few times, you know, he would kind of say that to us because we'd be laboring over a, a project or something and having a hard time getting through it and he's like you got to struggle and you got to struggle that's part of it and I kind of I would think about that occasionally and um, I think there's a, there's a lot of truth to that but you know I I think about the risks that that I've taken personally to to see it done and you know, I know how much that's indicative of how much what we create means to me. Right. And so I get, this is a completely different subject, but I get really pissed off when I just see one great project after another going to the same three guys, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just disgusting. I'm, I'm like, these guys have already climbed the mountain. They, they are they they complacent isn't the word for it but they they don't have the deep down desire to the degree that i have in in my gut you know they they would not have taken the risks that i took to open a nine-hole golf course in rural tennessee because they didn't they wouldn't have to right because they're they're you know the guys at the top of the mountain are they're already there they don't have to to do the things that I've had to do to, to build our, our business and build our design firm. And, um, you know, those, those strong desires to are, are still there and we're going to take that passion and that, you know, that wherewithal to, to our, to our projects. And I'm ready to, I'm ready to break through to the next level. And I think we're getting really, really close to it. Yeah, it, it sure seems like it. I mean, y- your name has been synonymous with Sweetens Cove for me since I first heard about it. And, uh, you know, I think 
unfortunately, better or worse, the golf world is still, you know, looking for, for brand names or people that, that they recognize and, and have that, you know, track record. It and it is wow. there, 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 that, that's true. There, there are, but there's, that's about to change. I, there's, we have so many inquiries right now, thanks to Sweden's Cove and thanks, you know, thanks to the, every, all the accolades and everything that we're going to, we're on, we're on the cusp of, of getting to that next level. And, um, I'm, I'm, it's, it's happening right now. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm really, really excited about that. Um, you know, I've, we'll, we'll, we'll see what the next big one is, but it's, there's a lot that's going on that I've, I can't really talk about right now, but that are, I'm hoping we'll have some good announcements. I, I get it. I get Illuminati stuff. I understand. I know that's all part <laughs> of the Sweetens Cove experience. Uh, yep. <laughs> no, I think you're, you're totally right. I just back up that point with, um, you know, I know we share a mutual acquaintance in Andy Johnson and uh, I've enjoyed the, the podcast you've done with him. Um, but, you know, his recent article on the craft culture uh, and yeah, I, really I believe well yeah, yeah, it's just really well thought out. I know he's been putting a lot of time in that for a long time, but it's uh, it's a premise of our business as well, which is just, you know, life's too short. Go out there and experience a lot of different courses, a lot of different course design. Um, see what you like uh, because everybody's a little different. And and I think with that, and hopefully, like you said, we're on the cusp of it. Uh, a lot more early um, shapers and designers are going to get those chances to to create and do something really lasting, really cool. So uh, you know, kudos, kudos, man. It's, it's, uh, it's fun to look forward. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, we're, we're, we're very excited. I think, um, you know, all things being equal, I think that, that good, really, really good times are ahead. I, I liken Sweetens Cove to a, a fruit bearing tree and, you know, it's finally the, the fruit is, is ripening to the point where, you know, we're starting to get some, get some really good opportunities and, and I and I hope that those things happen for for other people who are, are, are lesser known, but but also have a lot of talent. I mean, ultimately, you know, people are going to come play a golf course not because of the name on it, but because of the the quality of it. A, a perfect example of that is Tobacco Road. I mean, they're still a, a, a great thriving business because of the genius of Mike Strantz. If they had hired one of the big names that were there in the late nineties that you could have hired. <laughs> it, it, well, it would, not only would it be different, but they wouldn't be in business. I mean, they're in business because those, the owners, Mark and Tony were smart and they, they took a flyer in some respects on a guy um, who was a little bit less well-known, but was going to do something extraordinary. And he did. And as a result, they have a have a successful business. If they had hired, you know, big name architect A, B, or C, they, you know, it would be a different story. That, that is, yeah, that place is um, it's one of the most influential on myself and like what I like because I, I was a you know fifteen year old kid or sixteen year old kid in in high school when we made a little trip down to Pinehurst from Ohio and. Um, that was the place. That's the place we still talk about. My high school buddies, I'm still close with them. They, they, we still just 
like to talk about shots that were hit that day. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Like those places. I know. Are you would never do that at, at just some random, random place. And I think that I definitely think Andy hit the nail on the head with his article and that the golf world is shifting and people's tastes are shifting with it where there's, there's less value in a name and, and more value in, in, in the product. And, and people are active. The, the golf world and, and, and golfers, millennials in particular, are in search of, you know, more authentic, real experiences than, you know, just, just a big name. And that's not to say that the big names can't still create great golf courses. Of course they can. But, you know, there's other people who can too. The uh, bef- uh, last question on uh, the creation of Sweetens. Is there anything about the process when you guys were building that, might surprise some people? Uh, one thing that I think surprises people when I, when I tell them this, like when we're out on the golf course is that, and that's, I mean, this has kind of been well publicized at this point. I don't know if it's that much of a surprise, but it, it does seem to still surprise people, but it, the, the land was totally flat. There was only one foot of fall from, behind number one green all the way over 600 yards to way over by number nine green. And, um, you know, there was, it was just completely featureless. So that was, a that was a big challenge. And I mean, it's not featureless anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It's feature full as I hear. That's Um, right. Yeah. And what, 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 so, so walk me through that. This is my naivety. I don't really, I'm not a huge, you know, into the um, architecture and construction scene. So, you know, what, what did it take? Like, what was the equipment that actually it, it, you, you had out there most of the time to, to get those features packed in there? Well, seven and eight were completely, when those two holes were, were built, they were completely balanced with the dirt that was there. Um, all that water on those two holes drains to a drainage ditch that's buried underneath seven and eight fairway. So the shaper that we, we used for the project, of a guy named Gus Grantham, who's this amazingly talented shaper, he, when he built those holes, you know, he would, he would make a cut into the ground and then, you know, that, that dirt would come up and would, you know, the, would, would make a fill. And so it was a cut and fill balance completely on those two holes. On the other holes, we had to dig dig some lakes, um, which is where the where the water drains to, um, and then the, the the dirt that came out of those lakes on number two and number six was used to build up uh, the rest of the golf course and and you know get some elevation so that that the water would would drain off, and it, that's just purely the kind of engineering side of it, but also would you know create some interest and visual interest and shot making interest and so forth um so when we were digging the lakes there were and this was one of the benefits of of the clients that we had is they were they did a lot of construction so they you know had access to a lot of big equipment and earth moving equipment and so there was about a month or so month or two months during construction in the summer of 2011 where we were digging these lakes and they were, you know, loading it, that, that dirt into trucks and dropping it where it needed to go. And, um, 
you know, Gus was such a a dynamo, a, really a force of nature on the on the bulldozer. Um, that he just he managed all that dirt and was able to keep up with all these guys. <laughs> I remember at one point our our client got kind of angry. It going, you know, I've got five, six other guys out here, and y'all can't keep up with one bulldozer operator. I mean, that was how good Gus was. I mean, he was just unbelievable. You know, he did superhuman things in, in the construction of that course. And um, we only, as part of our, the King Collins deal, we were, you know, really only had, you know, a hand Gus, and then we had some a couple other guys come in here and there, but Gus was the main, the main guy from a, you know, the construction standpoint in the, in the shaping and building of the golf course. Um, and, and he was just really worked some miracles out there. And then once the, all the dirt was in place, then Tad, my partner came in and he, he did the finish work on the, the greens and tees and fairways. And I, and I did the, the, the finish work in the, in the bunkers. Um, and we also had Dan Proctor come in, uh, for part of the project and do some bunker work too, which was awesome. Dan's a, a, a great guy who was a, a core Crenshaw associate and now a good friend of mine. So we, we had some really, you know, fortunate to have some really talented people out there and that's how it all happened. And, and, I, and, you know, I know it plays and we're going to talk to uh, some point before our, our group comes down, we're going to get on the phone with your uh, superintendent, you know, get talk about oh, the good, ground. Yeah. Yeah. Talk, about, yeah. talk about the grounds a little bit. So maybe I'll save some of the other questions for him. But uh, did you guys bring in much sand uh, other than, you know, top dress? Like, is there was, was there much? Because I, I know its intention was to play firmer and faster. Um, how was that achieved? Well, the again, going back to, you know, the benefit of having the clients that we had, that they own a, a concrete manufacturing company. And as part of that, they have a, a sand plant. And at that sand plant, which is up on Mount Eagle Mountain, about 25 minutes from the golf course, they produce more than enough sand for us to, that was excess that they just kind of had to the side that they were, we were able to use uh, for sand capping on the golf course. And that was really essential. We sand capped probably an average of about four inches across the golf course. Oh, wow. And, and, and that, that's really helped with drainage and, and playing firm and fast and everything. So, and, and of course, and then we also have the waste bunkers. You know, we estimate that there were probably 2,000 loads of sand brought into the golf course wow. during construction. So, okay. Yeah, it's good to have the right to have the right friends in the sand business, right? Man, I tell you what, that, it made all the difference in the world. It really did. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, all right, so shifting gears into uh, the kind of the atmosphere of Sweden's and the spirit of the place. You know, I think it's obviously a golf course. Um, you got, it's a social media darling. I mean, I think it gets a, a lot of love and, and deservingly so. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that cause I haven't been yet, but I, I just feel like a lot of respected opinions all feel, feel strongly about the place and it's growing, you know, with golf avids every day. Um, I actually had a, a buddy in Cork, Ireland, who I haven't talked to since probably 2000, oh 2010 send me um one of the the articles on you man and i was like this is so cool unbelievable. uh unbelievable. i'm trying to i'm trying to get him to join us in, in april but he's he's complaining oh that'd be amazing 
on on rates, but um, uh, to I should say airplane rates, not not otherwise. Right. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but but anyways, I, I my question is, you know, all this tension. Uh, wh- why do you think that has happened? Other th- other than your design, why do you think that has happened, and why Sweden's? You know, why not someplace else? Could it have been someplace else? Um, and f- and feel free to take that any- anywhere. I mean, wh- why do you think why Sweden's? Well, I I think at the heart of it, and I, you know, going through the process, you know, we had a goal to build this extremely unique standalone nine-hole golf course that asked a lot of questions. You know, kind of going back to the first question um, that, that other courses didn't didn't ask and. I think that, you know, and I've said this before, I think that a golf course in a lot of ways is a reflection of how much time and effort you put into it. It kind of reflects that energy energy back to you. And because of all of the effort that went into Sweetens and because of its uniqueness, you know, I, I think it just is a – it, it holds its own unique place. It, and, um, you know, as, as we got into the operations of the business, you know, Patrick and Ari and I and our other partners, you know, people who had been around and, and seen golf courses, and it, we knew how good Sweetens Cove was just purely as a golf course. And early on, that just, that wasn't good enough. For, for whatever reason, we weren't getting the traffic that that we thought we would get, and you know, initially, you know, having a a portable shed and a portalette and, and these minimal, you know, you know, parts of the operation were were a real liability, and then as time went on and people realized how good Sweetens Cove was. And you know, I think that I think that the ranking really helped it. I mean, being you know num- now number fifty modern ahead of a lot of famous places, you know, you look at it and you're like, okay, wait, there's a nine-hole golf course in rural Tennessee that is has a portalette and a and a shed and a, a you know a, a small maintenance budget, and it's ranked ahead of you know the two places where they played the uh, you know, where they had major championships in 2017. I mean, that's, it's, it's incongruent with it, it logically, right? I mean, it just doesn't really make sense. And so I think that people saw that and it realized that, you know, it did deserve that ranking, but that it was like, how is that even possible? And so I think that that started the, that kind of incongruent nature of those two things, started to build a lot of momentum and then as time went on you know Patrick and, and everyone associated with the business we started to realize that these things operationally that were once liabilities almost were starting to become a strength and you know now the shed is like it's kind of become a iconic thing and um, it's just you know, whatever happens in the future at Sweetens Cove, I mean, we do want to actually build a clubhouse and have cabins and 
you know, expand our operations and, and be able to do more things. But, you know, the shed needs to be a part of that. I think the shed should, should stay on site and be a, be a halfway house where they, you know, serve drinks or something like that. Um, save the I, shed. You know, I, 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 save the I'm shed. Already, you know, I think, I, think, <laughs> I think there's just these, you know, kind of funny, unique things about Sweeten's Cove that have, you know, kind of created a, a, a story that, that people are attracted to. And, and that story has been told by, you know, various magazines and the Golfer's Journal and, you know, people like Andy. And um, I, I think that, you know, all of those stories and the, the fabric of all that resonate with people because it's authentic. It's not, it's, it's not fake. I mean, it's, you know, we've somehow, some way, because we were forced to, you know, built a level of authenticity into the brand of Sweetens Cove that really, if somebody that did somebody that had a well-capitalized operation in a, in a good golf course, they would kill for the level of, you know, authenticity that, that's associated with our brand. And, and, but they don't, you can't just buy that. It's not something that you can just, you can't just hire a PR firm or a marketing firm and throw a bunch of money at it and have a logo and all this and think that that's going to do the trick. And and that's a lot of, so much of golf is, is inauthentic and is, is just kind of this glossy magazine stuff. That's not really, there, there's nothing behind the eyes, but at Sweetens Cove, it's this really, really good golf course, but there's, because of, <laughs> how things evolved and, and the authenticity associated with that it, it people re, it resonates with people people get it they buy into it and and it's just it's a snowball you know the more yeah. people that going downhill the more people that see it the more it grows and the more it grows the more people see it and it just it's just it's kind of it's it's grown and taken on a life of its own and the have witnessed that and, and played a part in that transformation has been really fun and exciting because because there were so many days when it was so uncertain and now it's not. Now it's not. Yeah. No, I, I love that uh, authenticity is, is such a great word for when I hear people talk about it, you know, that that is exactly what resonates uh, with them, but, but not necessarily everyone gets it. Right. I mean, I, I, aren't no. some aren't, aren't some turned off by it? Some people are, and 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 you know the golf course wasn't designed or built for for everyone in a way. I mean, I I I think that the golf course that's true and that's not true. I mean, I think that the golf course asks fundamental questions that are that are rooted in the you know, the fundamentals of, of great architecture. And those are things that, that I think do appeal to everyone, but the way it's expressed and, you know, certain things about it, um, you know, I, I think are, are off putting to a certain subset of the, the population. I mean, I wasn't trying, trying to, to please everyone. And, you know, I think that too many golf courses, try to be too much and and 
you know that that's one of the problems of, of the boom era of, of of design is that you have these soulless you know creations that don't ask any interesting questions that we're too afraid to do anything um that, that could be perceived as you know being quirky or weird or different and you know as a result you just kind of have these homogeneous boring golf courses everywhere and and you know Sweetens was never going to going to be that and you know my this kind of as I'm talking about it goes back to my all-time favorite Alistair McKenzie quote which was you know after he built the Sitwell Green which was met with a, a lot of you know con- condemnation in, in certain circles you know he wrote and, and I'm not going to quote it exactly but that um you know, if you were raised on flat and insipid, featureless golf, then you know, <laughs> you know big surprise that that's that, that you're going to be turned off by something that's uh, out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, people who maybe haven't been around a lot or haven't seen things, um, you know, might be turned off by something as McKenzie said that is undoubtedly out of the ordinary because it's not what they're accustomed to and I think we get a little bit of pushback um you know from people like that um I think that you know there's a handful of golf architecture aficionados who in most people who who kind of consider themselves in that area you know that that realm I think most people like that really love Sweetens Cove, but you know, there's been a a couple instances where, at least from my my standpoint, I think that there's some people because of all of the the love and praise for Sweetens Cove, I think that there's a, a handful of people who tried to kind of poke holes in it, in you know, as a way to for them to kind of you know make themselves the smartest person in the room. Like they figured out why it's really not that great, but yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing, but the overall overarching point is, is that Sweetens wasn't built to satisfy everyone. I knew that it was going to resonate very strongly with a certain part of the golf population. I will concede to some surprise of how much it's resonated i mean it's there's more people that are more turned on by it and get it and love it i I think than than i realized would um you know i think that i thought it would be probably a little more controversial controversial than it is um and you know i think that Part of the reason of that is just there's a, there's an awakening going on in, in in the golf population, particularly in millennials, and this is, is thanks in large part to guys like Andy, um, you know, in in Golf Club Atlas, you know, is a little bit older generation, but you know, there's different um, ways to educate yourself about architecture and understand why architecture is important, and um, as people have started to to learn these kind of the fundamentals and why things matter, um, there's more people, there's more awareness 
therefore people the the pump is primed so to speak for people to appreciate what Sweden's Cove is rather than to be turned off by it and go oh, this you know this is this is completely different than the different, you know the yeah. courses I play in Atlanta. I mean, why 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 is this place so weird? <laughs> you know, and, and, but you know most people don't do that now. They they come seek us out from Atlanta because we are different. And um, so I, I think that there, there's there's an awakening in the in the golf population which has really really benefited Sweetens Cove. And there, there's you know like I said, Andy's one of the leaders in that. That you know we owe him a big thanks because. People are more, as he says, more woke. They're more aware, and that that helps Sweden's kind of. Yeah, know? yeah. No, I, absolutely. I mean, it's. I, th- I think uh, we we try to preach similar, and and there's so many resources out there for you to dive into this stuff, and and not you know you, you don't have to dedicate your whole day to it anymore. You can actually make it part of your life to uh, to understand it a little bit and appreciate it. You know, I, I've been big on this beginner's mindset for the last couple months, really, just looking at things from uh, a beginner standpoint and, you know, try to be just curious about it. Uh, and, and I think if you have that open mind and you go in with a beginner's mind to, to anything, you know, you're going to um, you're just going to enjoy yourself more and you're going to learn and, and have more fun. I think that's a great point. I, I haven't heard what you're saying in, in terms of that, that exact terminology and beginner's mindset, but I, I, I totally agree with you. My wife and I were having this conversation just the other night. We, we have two, two girls, a 13 year old and a nine year old. And, you know, we're watching them learn things and experience things and occasionally struggle with certain things. And we have to teach them, you know, how to get through certain situations. And, you know, as a, parent or an older uh, you know their mentor and their parent you we've already been through a lot of this stuff so we take for granted that you know they're experiencing a lot of things for the very first time and so you have to kind of put yourself in their their mindset and that helps you understand where they're coming from and and in the, in the same sense if, if you approach new situations with a you know rather than being defensive about it or kind of having your walls up, you know, just letting, you know, approaching things and with an open mind, the the beginner mindset, as you said, then you're going to be open to experiencing and enjoying things for, for what they are. And I think that um, there's a lot of that at, at Sweetens Cove, that, that people have embraced that mindset maybe without even knowing it. And that's allowed them to appreciate and accept something that is undoubtedly out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's good. So so long term, um, you know, with with Sweetens Cove, what do you hope? It, it means a lot of things to a lot of people, but what do you hope Sweetens Cove stands for long term, in the long run? Like, what does it stand I think, for? I think that. Um, Sweetens Cove is sort of, you know, can, you know, hopefully it'll, it'll, and I think it will be, be around in 50 or 100 years, and people will see it as ground zero in this this movement that that is currently happening in golf and golf architecture, where, you know, 
substance and means more than than the than the fluff and that um previous norms of you know 18 hole championship golf through a subdivision <laughs> you know is <laughs> is isn't is necessary or or 18 hole championship golf isn't ne- isn't what you you have to have and in in fact it can be quite a bit different than that it can be a a 12 or 13 hole abandoned preserve it can be you know a nine hole Sweetens Cove or Winter Park or um, you know the Cradle or you know there's there's a lot of different ways to experience architectural excellence and it doesn't have to be in the form of an 18 hole championship golf course. That's not to say that there aren't places for 18 hole quote unquote championship golf courses. There there definitely are, um, and you know. I want to I want to build 18 hole courses. I want to build nine hole courses. I want to build 15 hole courses. I want to build short courses. We want to do all kinds of stuff. But I think that Sweetens Cove is. Patrick said this um, at some point recently, and it resonated with me. You know that Sweetens Cove is kind of a a counterculture part of of golf, and it's a a rebellion against a lot of things that came before it and it, it's I think kind of a, a demarcation point in in golf and and I think that it will be seen as kind of a central place in this this new new movement that this awakening that people are, are having and you know I, I want people to be able to come and experience it and then enjoy it and and you know be a part of it that um man that's i mean it's just it's it's just so great and i think uh yeah i've talked to some people that have seen this because you're right this demarcation point all the the rallying around it um that it is a statement you know there's some folks that feel like they may have missed it like 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 sweeten's uh already so much out there like even one of our members sent me an email when we said we're going down in april and he's like i mean is there enough times like isn't the place booked for for the year and i'm like dude this is rural tennessee still man like the word is just now getting out like yeah there's been a lot of press but i mean maybe just tell tell our our members and listening audience like have they missed the boat or can we still get out? I mean, you know, what, what are Tetons looking like? No, absolutely. <laughs> oh no, my God. I mean, you, you, please come out. I mean, you know, I was talking earlier about the shed and the portalette being a, you know, because of we've, we've kind of made it over the top of the mountain, you know, and it's like, we've still got these weird little accompaniments with us as we're on the downhill side of the slope. And it's, but, the the shed and the portalette are there because of necessity. They're not, even though they've become a strength, we're not keeping them around just for the fun of it. Um, I mean, it's still a business and it has to operate. I mean, we're not, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, we're, no, I, we're not, we're not, um, you know, riding around in Ferraris. I mean, we're it's, <laughs> it's it's not, you know, it's not this big money making venture right now i mean i i hope that one day it will 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 be successful financially but we're still 
you know, even with all the the press, I mean, we still have tons of unused inventory, which I find to be a little a little surprising. Um, but we're, you know, we're, we are still a growing business, and we have a lot of growing to do, and we're going to grow, and we're going to continue to grow. Um, we're definitely on the downside of the slope, but um, I think there is a little bit of a, a disjointed thing with with perception versus reality. I mean, it's like we have received so much publicity. Like, for instance, if, you know, a more well-known place or a more, more well-funded operation received the amount of publicity that we have, they would be on a financial easy street. But because we're in rural Tennessee and it's, you know, a little bit harder to get to, we're, we haven't reached that point yet. So we we encourage people to please come out yeah. and support us yeah I, I i think i think i asked the question because i was so like uh when i got that message i started thinking about it and this is somebody that's all over twitter and you know he, he probably just assumes that because his little microcosm on on twitter is, is so filled with sweetens that so is the the course all the time and and um you know i think it it that's speaks right. yeah it, it speaks more to the you know one of our principles for new club and why we wanted to get this thing going is um you know, so much, so much more content. People are consuming all these great ideas and and, uh, uh, and and information, and they're learning. But you know, golf is meant to be played, and it's meant to be experienced. And you know, that's great and all, but you know, let's put the phone down and and go play some golf. And and I think some people just still need that uh, avenue to do it, whether it's you know a group of people, community to to um, help encourage that. Or just the access to say, "Hey, here's the date. We're going to play. Let's go do it." Yeah, 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 exactly. And it's you know, if Sweetens Cove was located in where, let's say, for instance, where there's a course in Chattanooga called Moccasin Bend um, that's you know five minutes from downtown. If Sweetens Cove is where Moccasin Bend is, it. <laughs> we wouldn't have any trouble filling up the T-sheet, but it's because it's, you know, where it is, it's, it's just not, it's not easy. And, um, you know, we can have a little bit of an echo chamber on, on Twitter and perception isn't always reality. We we're always looking to, to grow and, and have new people out. And I, 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 you know, 2018 was the best year we've ever had. And, 2019 is going to be even better and it's going to be even better by a long stretch. And I think it will continue like that. And right on. That's, that's awesome. You know, it's not a, it's not a fluke that, that, that Sweetens Cove is, is growing. It's growing fundamentally because of the strength of the golf course. I mean, everything comes out of that. That, That's the, that, that's what matters. And that's where we've put all our resources and, you know, as, as we grow, we can then recommit some of those resources to kind of continue to raise the level of of the experience and, you know, give Brent, our superintendent, more resources, more human resources, more equipment. Um, he does an amazing job with, with what he's got, but I'd, if I could wave a magic wand, I'd double his budget today, and, man, you'd really see something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's fun to watch it grow where we can – just kind of continue to elevate the experience over time. That's great. That's the goal. Yeah. Uh, this, this next one, 
And uh, I'll, I'll ask this, this last one on, on Sweetens, and I'd like to talk to you about some other golf stuff, if that's cool. So this one is submitted by uh, two people I think you know. One of them, I can't remember who gave it to me, but Peter Schmidt um, uh-huh. and, uh, and Kevin Moore, they, they said when I mentioned that I'd be chatting with you, uh, they want to know when someone pulls out of the parking lot, uh, what is the one thing you hope is on their mind? Um, what is the one thing you hope all first-timers will take away? Well, we want, and, I, and we work hard to to do this, but to have a, a friendly, welcoming environment. I hope that people, when they come out to Sweden's Cove, realize that it's very much appreciated that they came. We, I genuinely appreciate it when, when people come out. I always ask people where they come from. Um, you know, it's still... I get a thrill out of hearing of, you know, new places where people have come from to, to come experience it. And, you know, that's not lost at all on us. So I hope that they understand that their, their effort is, is not lost on us and we appreciate it. And I hope that they're thinking about when the hell can I get back here? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hope that they had enough fun that they're going, they're looking at their calendar on the way down Sweetens Cove road, trying to figure out their next trip. Cause, you know, ultimately we want it to be like a moth to a flame. We want people to come back. What, one of my favorite stories I've heard about you guys already is this. I, I was talking to uh, someone from D.C. We just randomly got connected, and they drove, uh, a group of buddies drove from D.C., and they pulled in the parking lot. You know, they're doing their stretch, and they're all stiff. And um, I think it was Patrick, you know, either knew they were coming or saw the license plate and said something like, did you fuckers drive all the way from DC to here? And, and, and I go, well, yeah. And he just started screaming at the top of his lungs, like, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, you know, pulled up some cards and, and got the whole thing going, which I, I just, I love that reception, you know, again, authentic. It's hysterical. Yeah, yeah. It's totally, totally authentic. I mean, Sweetens is the way it is now is very much a reflection of, of, mine and Patrick's personality and, and Nash, our new GM, you know, fits in that mold. And it's, it's kind of, it's cool to see people, you know, get into that. So I, I, and Patrick was such a great ambassador for so long. And now Nash, Nash is in that role. Patrick's moved on and doing, doing the national custom thing with his amazing clubs that, that they're building. And, um, anyway, it's, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 like that. yeah. I think so many people have enjoyed each each of uh, you know the the cast of characters you guys had to put together for the place. I mean, there's no no doubt that that has a immense part in all this, right? I mean, oh, it it totally does. It's 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 so much about it. it a lot of it is is the people, and that's one of the the greatest enjoyments I've had is that Sweetens Cove has brought me closer to a lot of people and it provided a platform for me to to meet a lot of new friends you know guys like kevin and trey moon and chico from midtown and (laughs) 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 you know some of my best friends and so and we've had a lot of great experiences and it's all because that, that because of that golf course pretty neat it is. So some other uh, cool golf stuff I just wanted to chat with you on. Um, so there's a, there's a place 
that, that we I know we both have played. Uh, it seems that it's been pretty significant influence on you, uh, as it has been on me and probably you know thousands, millions of others. Um, and that's the old course. Uh, first, I'm just I'm curious how many times you've played the old course. Um, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, only once. <laughs> I've studied it a lot, but I've only played. Oh, yeah, I've only played it one time, and I am dying to go back. I'm I'm hoping that maybe maybe 2019 will be the year. It always seems like maybe this will be the year that I get to go back. But, uh, you know, awesome. being busy with kids and financial realities and so on and so forth, it you know it just hadn't happened. But um, maybe this year. I mean, because I've heard you talk about it so much, I think that's so cool. Because you know, you were clearly much more woke than I was when I first played it. Um, uh, t- tell me about your your first round there. Tell me about your round there. Like, what what stuck with you? What was your impression of the plays? Well, it was um, I was I was nineteen years old, and um, we went over a, a really good friend of mine growing up. His dad basically gave him the trip of a lifetime is his graduation present from high school and uh and he got to invite a friend and he, he invited me so it was me and my friend zach and his his dad and one of his dad's best friends and so there were four of us and we went over there and and the first course we played was was the old course and um it you know i had what whatever golf I had played, you know, was kind of a a steady diet of you know typical American golf, and it was just it was so different. <laughs> it, it, it was so fun, and the caddies were so cool, and you know I, I knew the course pretty well from having seen it on TV and and. You know to you know try you know hitting all these different crazy shots and being able to play along the ground and everything was just it was just a, a really really thrilling and, and eye-opening experience and one of the things that really opened my eyes to architecture um, actually occurred on the new course the next day my, my friend's dad hit this shot that just looked absolutely perfect. He was a good player and was way out in the fairway, maybe hit a three wood up or something. And his ball was heading straight for the green in the, all of a sudden I was standing up by this deep green side bunker and his ball's rolling, rolling, rolling for 40 or 50 yards. And it just slowly starts to turn left and it just keeps on coming, keeps on coming. I'm like, no way this ball's going to make it all the way to this bunker. And then it just, the <laughs> contours just suck it right into the bunker and I was just like, oh, my God, that is, that is sick. <laughs> you know, it's like the craziest thing I've ever seen. And 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 then he, you know, promptly, you know, took like three shots to get out of the bunker and walked away with a double or triple bogey or something. And it was like there was so much more texture and variety and interest and potential outcomes to your shot Um on on those type of courses than there were to what I was accustomed to, and it just, it made me realize immediately the the depth of of 
what golf architecture could be and, and the questions that it could ask and, and how complex it could be. And, and that just was fascinating to me. Yeah. The, the, um, uh, I, I think for, for me, it's summed up by, uh, you know, we have some, our, our name is new club because of the new golf club of St. Andrews. And you walk in the clubhouse after, you know, they just played a, a medal around the old course and the conversations you hear are so varied of, of shots versus, you know, our typical American golf the, that we probably most of us grew up with. Um, you go in the clubhouse afterwards and, and they're already on the other topics. And, and maybe it's a little bit of, you know, uh, uh, just more involvement in the game, obviously a bigger part of their life over there, but uh, I guess it's in general. But, um, but more than anything, I think that type of golf is just easy to fa- be fascinated by. You know, the fascination levels are, are so much higher when you got shots like that that are rolling 50 yards into a, a bunker and, and changing the outcome of the hole. Yeah, and, and, and what's so cool about it is that if if his ball had, you know, maybe been four or five feet to the right, it never would have caught that contour and it never would have sucked down into that bunker and he would have been on the front of the green. And it's, you know, learning those little things or what, would make you want to go back out. So the next time, if he ever played that hole again, he'd be like, he would know that he'd have that piece of information and it would, would excite him and he'd want to try the shot again and try to have a different outcome. And, you know, all the drama that comes with, you know, have, having the uncertainty and then, you know, trying a shot and succeeding. You know, those are the type of situations that are at the heart of the game and make it interesting and, and lasting. And that, that, that's what I want yeah. to try to do with our work. Yeah, yeah. How, how the uh, the new course pretty underrated, right? Oh, totally, it, totally underrated. I thought it was a blast. We it's so it. fun. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it doesn't have the uh, yeah. you know you're, you don't have the corridor of of one and eighteen or anything, but uh, the new course. I always tell people. I think I played new. I, I played most of them actually, but. Uh, I always tell people to try to get the the Jubilee and New End as well. Absolutely, yep. I'm re- I'm ready for another trip. Nash was just over there. They played a bunch of places. I was I was jealous. Got to get back over. Yeah, yeah. My, you 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 care if I share my first uh, experience with the old course? No, I, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. So I I was uh, about the same age you were. I was 19 or 20. Um, I was playing golf at at University of Akron here in in Ohio and. Uh, I ended up quitting the team at the same time that one of my friends who played, um, my friend Aaron played for Xavier down in Cincinnati and, and she hung it up as well. We were just kind of burnt out, I guess. And uh, we go over the, she, she's studying in St. Andrews. I'm in uh, Cork, Ireland. And uh, I make the trip. I'm just, I, I fell back in love with the game over there just because of stuff that we're talking about. And um, I go all the way over. I, you know, throw my bags on her, on her dorm room room floor and I hike down to the course. I'm just like, this place is, it's magic. You know, you can kind of feel it in your footsteps. Uh, but anyways, we go to a, a little college party, get together and I get myself into, to a, um, a drinking contest with like these Scotsmen and we're doing, you know, <laughs> Jaeger bombs. And, and I, I used to be able to do that pretty well. So I'm like this scrawny, you know, 130 pound kids hanging with these giant Scotsmen <laughs> in this drinking contest. And, uh, you know, we got a 8 a.m. tea time the next morning, and and I was actually 
I'll never forget this this kid's name. His name was Matthew Pexton. So we we shared the same name. We kind of looked alike. He gave me his uh, uh, the St. Andrews trust card. So I actually oh, played wow. as a phony Scotsman uh, to have the tea time <laughs> the next morning. Uh, and, I'm, and I am as hungover as a 20-year-old can be um, on this <laughs> first tee. And it was the craziest day. We're, pl- we're playing with uh, a nice British couple and then me and my friend Aaron. And, and it rained 13 different times throughout the day. Uh, oh, my God. Probably was slightly softer than usual. I took three shots in the road hole bunker to get out. And uh, I still shot 74. Um, Whoa. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I three shot, I made a seven on the road hole and shot 74. So here's the tragic oh, part. Of, yeah. Here's the tragic part about it. So for 10 years, people asked me about the old course and you know what? My first thing I would say was it's easy. And I, and uh, I, I would tell people, I'm like, you know, it's, it's kind of a cow pasture. It doesn't look like much. Just got to keep missing the left. And I must've pulled off some miraculous shots. I'm also hungover. So, you know, I'm not feeling any thoughts, <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Uh, but, but um, the, the, the best part about it is I did get to return in, in 2015 with uh, actually a founding group of new clubbers. And um, in 2015, I maybe made two pars and don't think I broke 85. I'm not, I'm not kidding. We, yeah. we, we got the what, the, what they call the tides where you play into the wind on the way out. And then you get a little bit of side wind for three holes. And then when you turn back around, you're back into the wind. It just shifted on oh. us. Oh. And, and I'm telling you, man, Rude. I just, I walked off. It, it just like, wow. I did not know it was possible for a golf course to play so varied and different. Um, and, and I just now, yeah, since that time, I've just had such a different appreciation for it. That's interesting. Yeah. It's always asking a different question. That's why it's remained. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's funny, just like, as we're talking about this stuff, I'm, I'm thinking back to some of the criticism on, on, uh, Sweetens that we, we shared. You know, it's it's kind of interesting to me that it does sound a lot like places. That, what what criticism you might hear of people at the old course or at a, a Presswick, um, or maybe you know some of those more uh, I don't know quirky or interesting type type tracks. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that that's very true. I mean, it's you know people. Sweetens Cove was built to be compelling the 1,000th time you went around it, not necessarily the first time. I mean, I, I want it to be compelling the first time around, but I, it's more important to me that it remains compelling after your 1,000th round. And, you know, a lot of times courses like that are asking certain questions and doing things that can be perceived in a in a negative light the, the first time around. But the more you play them, the more you realize you know, how much is there. And that's, that, that's what great golf courses do is they, they, they keep, keep your interest after many, many, many rounds and keep asking new things. And, you know, sometimes people don't like those questions until they start to understand why they're being asked. And that takes repeat play. And Sweetens is definitely a course that requires repeat play. So and that's the way it's, but that's the way, that's what we wanted. So, yeah. If somebody comes out and plays 
nine holes and bitches and moans that, you know, the golf course isn't rewarding certain shots, um, it's like, well, perhaps you should try playing it again. You know, you might, <laughs> yeah. You might, you might see something that you didn't see the first time. Yeah, and then round and round they go. You know, I, I know I yeah. haven't had one buddy who, who wants to leave the place after uh, a couple rounds. You know, they get as many times around as they can because there's it sounds like there's a lot to see. Exactly. I mean, I could, if I just had a, a completely free day and could do anything and the weather was great and it was firm and fast out there, I mean, you could go out there and just play all day and not, not get bored at all. I'm All right, a couple, uh, a couple hypotheticals, and and we'll start winding down if, if that's. Uh, so I'll let you get back yeah, to your day, but for sure. um, if you could pick your next project to to be whatever you wanted, or whatever you wanted, so mm -hmm. things like land funding, etc., those are all non-issues. Um, mm -hmm. What would it be? And, and I'm not going to let you use the Buck Club because I know. We, we uh, there's been a lot of that. It's too that's too easy. Uh, it's too easy in and out. So, you know, if land funding, all those things are non-issues. Where would your next project be? Well, I have actually submitted a a proposal for what could be our next project, and I can't talk about it. I wish I could, but I will say that it's a place that is very important to me and would be basically the ultimate dream job for me and um it's on a sandy site and we'd be doing something unique uh outside of the bounds of, of what they have already and i think it would just it would be the most thrilling project that I can, can imagine. Um, it's, it's Sandy. It's well-funded. It well attended. <laughs> it would be, it would be unique. Uh, it would be really different, but it would, it would ask all the important questions that, you know, that, that the great courses ask and, but kind of in a different way. And uh, I, I've, I know that sounds very vague, but um, for me to answer that question in, in any other way, would I would just be, well, I wouldn't be being truthful because I, I might have the opportunity to do exactly that, you know, on, on, a, on a dream piece of ground. So we'll see. Leave, leave it at that. I love cliffhangers. That's, that's awesome, man. I, uh, I hope the best on that one. That sounds, that sounds Thank really good. <laughs> Uh, what architect, alive or dead, other than your partner, Tad, uh, would you like to co-design a course with the most? Hmm. Wow. Um, I have so much respect and admiration for Mike Strantz. I mean, he would be way up high on the list. Um, I just think he was a you know, a revolutionary, uh, visionary guy, just, just totally out there on his own. Um, Alistair McKenzie would be way up there. Um, 
I think, you know, hell, I'll just say Mike Strength. I think that'd be, that would have been a hell of a lot of fun. I wish I could have gotten to meet him. Um, okay, where, take, let's take, uh, well, we've talked about Sweetens in the old course, so let's take those off the, the table. Uh, you got a, one course to play the rest of your life. Where, where is it going to be? Uh, man. Pinehurst number two would be way up there. Um, Cow Club, I love Cow Club. That's way up there. Mm. I mean, that's just a course you could play over and over and over and over. Sand Hills, you can play a lot. (laughs) I've played 70 holes there in one day and not been even close to board. Um, You know, maybe on the other side of the pond, maybe a place like North Berwick. That'd be tough to beat. I think maybe maybe North Barrick or Sand Hills. It's hard to narrow down to one. Yeah. <laughs> Piner's number two. <laughs> Somewhere in that range. You can't, you can't lose at that list. That was stellar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who, who? Better question, who are you playing with? God, that would be awesome. Um, well, my dad died in January last year. I wish I, I, wish I could, would, could do it with him and my brother. Um, that would be the kind of the ideal, ideal grouping. Um, you know, I, I would do it with, uh, I'd take the Sweetens crew any day of the week, take, take the boys we, we roll around with out there and, and we, we have a lot of fun. Good answer. Good answer. Um, I heard you, I heard you have some games too. I heard you can play Rob. (laughs) Occasionally. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's uh it's it's a little you know i i can play a little bit but i've got um i, I struggle with um consistency particularly off the tee if i'm hitting the, if i'm playing if i'm getting off the tee i can definitely get it around but if i'm starting to get a little you know a little scattered there it can I hit it a long way, so that also means I hit it a long way out of bounds when things are not going well. And when you start adding multiples of two on the top of your score, things add up quickly. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, anyway. But I love golf. It's it's, it's always fun. So. Yeah. All right. There's. I know I said we'd wrap there, but I have – if I don't ask a few last questions on Sweetens, I'll probably get yelled at. Um, so – First, I'm going to start with uh, ejections. They, they seem to be a big thing at Sweetens. Uh, I've seen the videos. Can you describe for our listening audience, um, you know, what's the proper definition of an inje- ejection? So an ejection is something that happens when you hit a shot and you just get totally screwed. I mean, it's <laughs> like you're basically going backwards. And that that's something that, as far as the Buck Club is concerned, and this is a place where Zach and I and Tad are, are all on the same page, we believe that golf courses should have places where you do get ejected. Because if, you, if the possibility of being ejected is there and that's baked into the fabric of the golf course, when you 
overcome that possibility and, and succeed, you're therefore going to have had a more dynamic and interesting experience, and you're going to feel more proud of yourself. So the 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 penalty doesn't always have to be ejection level, but when when there are ejections out there as a possibility, it makes things more exciting. It kind of heightens your senses. And, you know, like a good example of an ejection at Sweetens would be if you're in the bunker on number five that has the plank boards on it and you are – you know, trying to hit kind of a heroic bunker shot and you catch it a little thin and the next thing you know, the ball's 40 yards behind you down the fairway and, <laughs> you know, you're hitting it or you're still in the bunker, you know, that, knocking it around against the board. That, that's that's an ejection. Um, we've got some big, big slopes out there, like number seven green falls off. And, um, you know, if you've got a little pin over there by the side of that slope and, Next thing you know, that thing can just pull down off the the side, and you can spend a lot of time at the bottom of that little hill trying to get back up on the green, get you know, content, con, re-ejecting yourself. So that that that's that's the kind of the fun things that happen out at Sweetens. It's, it's more fun when it happens to your friends, and you get to make fun of them. It's less fun when it happens to you. Oh, for sure. But I yeah. I think it vibes well with uh, match play. You know when there are ejections. Oh, it, it, that's exactly right. And Sweetens is a match play golf course. It was built with match play in mind primarily. So that's, I mean, th- those kind of situations are so good for match play. And uh, Sweetens does. That's one of the things it does really well. That was my next question. What What's the best form? What's your favorite format to play around Sweetens? I definitely prefer match play. Yeah, it's it's really a match play golf course. I mean, it's it's set up to allow somebody to really make a run if they're behind, and it also allows somebody if they're ahead coming down the stretch to to kind of play it safe and just try to make pars. But you know, in a match, that's not always the best way to win, right? Because when you start pumping the brakes and just kind of going for par, 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 if the other guy you know, all of a sudden starts getting hot, then you can start to feel nervous. And and then that kind of leads to this whole interesting dynamic where there's you know, the, the shift of momentum. And um, because birdies are available out there, I mean, you got to hit the shots, but you can, def- you can definitely go on a run out there. And and then if things start to, my vision was always that, you know, you would have a match where things were tightening up down the stretch and the guy who had been in the lead would start to, clutch up a little bit and you know maybe he gets ejected on eight or nine and that's kind of the the thing that opens up you know for the the guy who was behind to come in with the with the coup de gras on the last hole or two uh to hit the heroic shot to win it so those situations are are definitely baked into the golf course and it's kind of all there waiting to happen any favorite variation like uh four ball match play or alternate shot or uh, three club deal, like what? Any any variation you like? I don't. You know, I I um haven't really had that much fun playing alternate shot in the past. Maybe it's just because the places I've played it weren't particularly fun golf courses. But I've had a lot of fun playing alternate shot at Sweden's Cove. One of the most fun ones that we did at the Ringer was playing 
the three or four club challenge, and that really forces you to hit certain shots that you may not be comfortable with and asks you to do certain things. And that's a really, you know, fun thing to to be, for example, you know, 150 yards out and you've got to hit a three wood or something and figure out how to use that slope. And um, one thing that I found really interesting in doing that was that I actually scored better during parts of the ringer in the four club challenge than I did with my full bag because I was, it, it was, it was keeping me from doing stupid stuff. Like I'm an overly aggressive player. And, and so I, I wasn't able to eject myself with the four clubs. I had to, do, you know, I had to kind of play it more safe in spots and had to get creative and, that was forcing you to hit shots and forcing you to not do really dumb stuff or try to bite off too much. And, and as a result, at the end of the day, my score with four clubs, I think was like one of the best rounds I had. And <laughs> with my full bag, I just was like, I kept firing at all the hard flags and I was getting ejected one at time after another. And I'm like, I should just play this course with four clubs, I guess. I <laughs> play within yourself a little bit. What do you got? Yeah, exactly. It forces you to. So that's kind of a fun, that's a fun one. Yeah, we're, we're actually, we, we have a, uh, the week before we go down uh, and experience Sweden's, we're doing a three club challenge out at this place in Chicago called Canal Shores, which is a oh, community. Yeah, golf that, yeah, yeah. yeah, Jason Way, kind of Godfather and that, Tony, Tony Turf, yeah. you know, doing some really cool stuff, um, infusing some, you know, old school fun architecture and do a, a, a little community spot on the north side. Um, so anyways, we're doing a three club challenge there, uh, as a warm up. I'm thinking we got to add three or four club format to, to our day at Sweetens then. I think you definitely should. It's a, it's a really fun format out there. It really is. That's a yeah. good, that's a good one. Uh, cool. Sure. Well, le- uh, very last question for you. And you know, if, if your response sucks, we'll just cut it out. So don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> If this podcast was about something unrelated to golf uh, and you were still our guest, what would that topic be? That I, you know, I don't really know because, and I thought it's, I have a, and my wife and I kind of joke about this, but we just live in this little box. I mean, we have two kids and a golden retriever and we, you know, have our own (laughs) little life. And, you know, we, we mostly just hang out with our kids and, and enjoy, you know, one another's company and, and, and do things with, with the family. I mean, we don't, you know, it's either doing work or, or, or family stuff. I mean, I, um, it's kind of one or the other. I don't know. Maybe it would be a, a podcast about raising kids or something. <laughs> hey, that's worthy. <laughs> I could definitely, well, I have a golden retriever. How old is your golden retriever? She is uh, nine years old. Her name is Cupcake. And um, she is a such an important part of the family. I, every day I just, I, I, guess, I mean, she's getting, a, she's very healthy right now, but, you know, you just, 
you know it's not going to last forever and she is she's awesome she's a, yeah she's a great dog i i uh my fiance and I moved in together probably over a year and a half ago. And I started living with a three-year-old golden named Gypsy. And, uh, you know, being, I, I had a couple dogs growing up and I was never like a dog, dog person, but I mean, they just, they keep me sane, man. She, she, every time just looks at me like, Hey, stop sweating something. Let's go for a walk. Or, <laughs> you know, they, to, to look through a dog's eyes, I think it helps us all out. Oh, it definitely does. They, they're, you know, the, we had another dog too. She she died. Cupcake's sister. Um, the, my girl's named Sprinkles, um, and, and Cupcake and Sprinkles were, you know, very important parts of of Sweetens Cove. And I used to take them out there in construction all the time, and they'd run around and chase birds and have fun. And you know, through the ups and downs of it all, they were you know they're kind of a stabilizing force. They they're always there for you. Yeah. You know, no is, what else is going on? Is Cupcake a, a pretty good golf dog? She is. She uh, is a little clueless about where to stand in certain situations. <laughs> but, uh, and she she likes to run around. You know, she, she she'll run off and, and chase the birds and run around in the edge of the ponds and stuff. But she loves it out there. I mean, Sweetens Cove is a great place for dogs. It is dog heaven, really. You know, it's secluded enough where they can just kind of really go out there and have fun. You don't have to worry about them too much, um, you know, being next to a road or anything. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, you can hear Gypsy knows we're talking about. She's just shaking like, hey, yeah. I'm ready for She's potty. Like, hey, it's, it's time for a walk, bud. Yeah, come on, man. <laughs> uh, it's, it's well, that's uh, Rob. We'll just end it there, man. I, I appreciate um, everything you do for the game. Uh, I'm definitely excited for our our Sweetens adventure in April coming up, uh, and I know after sharing this with our our members and the, the folks that are going to be joining us, they're going to be pretty pumped up as well. And you know, you, you're you've built something pretty special, I can tell. Um, but more than that, I think you know you've been a really great dude to a lot of my friends and uh, just just a really kind uh, person to to a lot of people. And I think that. I can tell it's pretty consistent and part of who you are. So thanks. Thanks again for uh, chatting this morning and I'm looking forward to uh, officially meeting you in person. I can't wait. Uh, we're thank you for the kind words. We're honored to, uh, to have you guys and you know, we thank you for all your support. It's, it's people like you guys are the reason that, that Sweetens Cove is, is still there. And um we're, we're honored to, to have you and can't wait to have some fun. We'll see you in April. Yes, sir. And, you know, bring a couple clubs and, and cupcake out to join us. If you're, uh, I, I definitely will. I would, I would love that. That would be a lot of fun. <laughs> All right, man. Well, have, have a, a great rest of your day. I'll let you get back to it and looking forward to talking to you soon. Thanks again for having me on. See ya. Yeah. See you, Rob.